to wish everyone a good morning, and we are glad and thankful, as always, for the opportunity to be able to assemble here and to worship together. We had a good weekend, and we, uh, of course, had the uh, Spring Easter Fellowship uh, last Saturday, yesterday, and we want to thank Katie and Josh for coordinating that. It was a good turnout, and we had a good time. And so we're looking forward now to the uh, remainder of the time that God gives us today to worship and to study. And I hope that you have your Bibles, and if you do, please open them to the book of Revelation chapter 2. That's going to be our text of study today, Revelation chapters 2 and chapter 3. You know, Americans are more health conscious today than they have ever been. Thanks to technology, really, thanks to our Apple Watches and the uh, apps that we have on our iPhones and our Androids, we can have instant access to information about our health that previously we would not have been able to have. Information like our pulse and our blood pressure and our calorie intake and how many steps we've had and so on and so forth. We can monitor these things And even medical technology has created the ability for, uh, under certain conditions with certain devices, a doctor to be able to monitor uh, some part of your body in real time. It's really fascinating if you think about it, and no wonder we want our bodies to be healthy, and so we're thankful that technology has given us the tools and the ability to uh, accomplish that goal. But this morning, and really today, this evening as well, I I would like for us to talk about the health, not of our physical bodies, but the health of the body of Jesus Christ. After all, the church is the body, you remember, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. And the church, just like our physical bodies, the church has a certain level of health. And our bodies will not function properly if our health is not good, and the church as the body of Christ will not function properly if its health is not good. And so we need to be mindful, we need to pay careful attention to the overall strength and health of the body, the church of Jesus Christ. Now, there's not any technology, there's not an iPhone app or an Android app that's going to help us to do that. But what we can do is we can open up God's word and we can take a look at what the Bible says because it will give us the ability to gauge the overall health of the body of Christ. So I want us to look this morning at Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And the reason is because if you're familiar with this section, you know that in Revelation chapter 1 we have Jesus pictured as standing in the midst of the seven lampstands, and Jesus, as the great physician, he's going to address seven churches in Asia Minor in chapters 2 and 3, and essentially he's going to give them a physical examination. He is going to give them a report of their health, and to almost all of them, he's going to have some very negative things to say, some issues, some health problems that they had, if you will, that they needed to correct And then to all of them, he'll point out some of the good things that they're doing, the positive traits, the good health practices, if you will, and he'll tell them to stay strong and to continue in those things. 
So our goal for the day is to simply look at each one of these seven congregations to pick one primary lesson, one primary positive practice that Jesus identifies in each of these congregations. And if we do that, then I think we'll have a biblical snapshot of what a healthy, strong church really looks like. So I invite your attention to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, first of all. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, the very first thing that we need to think about as we are seeking to have a healthy and strong congregation of God's people, number one is that we must stay true to our first love. We must stay true to our first love. Revelation 2, verse 1 to 7, is written to the church at Ephesus. We won't read every passage, but I do want to read a little bit. Begin with me in verse 1. The Bible says to the angel of the church at Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, I know your labor, your patience, I know that you cannot bear those who are evil and that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars and you've persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. We call this congregation a strange Ephesus and the reason is because of what Jesus says about them in verse number 4. You'll notice in the first three verses that Jesus identifies that this congregation was doing some good things. He commends them for the works in which they were involved, and he, he does so, and that, of course, is appropriate. But the problem is that they were doing all of the good things for all of the wrong reasons. They had left their first love. The idea of leaving the first love indicates for us that they had no real sense of devotion. There was no real sense of dedication. There was no understanding within the congregation that, yes, here's what we do, but here's why we do it. It reminds us of Israel of old in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. You remember what God, through the prophet, told the people. He told them as he looked at the sacrifices and the offerings that they were bringing to him, he said, you're bringing me the blind, you're bringing me the lame, you're bringing me the leftovers. And then he says, why don't you take these things and offer them to your governors and your princes and your rulers? And then a rhetorical question, will they be satisfied with them? And of course the answer is no, no, they they would not be satisfied with them. Well, then why are you bringing them to me? You see, the children of Israel during the time of Malachi were doing the ancient equivalent of of a person in 2021 that simply gets up in the morning and goes to worship services, not because they feel like it's something that ought to be done, not because they want to be there, but because they feel like, well, I need to check this box And I've gone on Sunday morning, and so you know what? I'm good. I don't have to think about spiritual things anymore for the rest of the week. I've checked the box. That's exactly the kind of thing that they were doing. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 2. This is what God said. It's a tragic passage. This is what God said of Israel. He said, I remember you. 
I remember you, he says. I remember you when you came to me in the wilderness. He's talking about the early history of the children of Israel and how at the beginning of the relationship that existed between that nation and between God, that they loved him and they cared for him, at least to some degree, and that there was some level of devotion, some level of desire and appreciation of God. But at the time that the prophet Jeremiah would write, all of that was gone. Now we go back to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. They had left their first love. They're going through the motions. They're doing all of the right things. But God is not only concerned with what we do. He's also concerned with why we do them. I want to point something out that was interesting to me. Would you put your bookmark in Revelation chapter 2 for, excuse me, Revelation chapter 2 for a moment and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're reading about the church at Ephesus. Let's look at the epistle that was written to this congregation, Ephesians. This epistle is written some 30 years previous to Revelation chapter 2. Now, I want you to notice something with me briefly as we survey some important passages in this book. The church at Ephesus had left their first love. Would you look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15? Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your, what? Your love for all the saints. Would you look at Ephesians 3 and verse 17? In that passage, the apostle Paul says that his prayer for that congregation is that they might be rooted and grounded in love. Would you look at the next verse, Ephesians 3, 18? Paul's prayer was that they might know the love of Christ. Look at Ephesians 4 and verse 2. Paul's instruction was that they learn to bear with one another in love. Look at Ephesians 4 verse 15 and 16. They were to speak the truth and edify one another. Edify or build up the church in love. Look at Ephesians 5 and verse 1. They were to walk in love. Do you notice the emphasis as Paul goes through the book of Ephesians over and over again? He says, do this in love, grow in love, be strengthened in love, edify one another in love, build one another up in love. It's been about 30 years since Paul wrote those inspired words to the point that we get to Jesus in Revelation 2 saying, you've left your first love. Have you ever studied through God's word and wondered why it is that God repeats and emphasizes things over and over and over again? Have you ever wondered why when you read, for example, through the book of Deuteronomy or through the book of Joshua, that God was always saying something to the children of Israel about uh, set up this monument so that you can teach your children and future generations. Continue to read the word of God before your children and future generations. Over and over again, this emphasis on future generations. Why the emphasis? Look what happened to Ephesus in only a few decades The Apostle Paul talked to them about their love and how they ought to grow in it. And by the time Jesus deals with them in Revelation chapter 2, they've forgotten what love is all about. You see, here's the application for us. We can be straight as a gun barrel when it comes to uh, doctrine and when it comes to practice. We can be active in working for the Lord, but we can be completely empty in regard to the why. We can be completely empty when it comes to the love that ought to motivate us. Remember, without love, what I say and what I have and what I give means nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. 
The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, 14 that all of our things are to be done in love. And listen to this. Our work in the kingdom of God, not just as an individual, but as a congregation, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, is to flow from our love. Our love for the Lord, our love for his word, our love for the lost, our love for one another. If we want to have a strong and a healthy and a thriving congregation, we must always remember our first love. There must never be found, there must never be found action that is empty, that is hollow, that is without meaning. But rather we must be sure that we remain truly devoted to the Lord who has saved us, who has purchased us with his blood, and to whom we belong. A healthy congregation is one that stays true to its first love. Number two. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. This is the congregation in Smyrna. And here's what Jesus has to say to this congregation. He says to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and that you will have tribulation ten days. But be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Smyrna, what does Smyrna teach us? Smyrna teaches us the importance of depending upon God. Smyrna is called steadfast Smyrna. You'll notice in verse number 10 that Jesus says, I know your poverty, and then we have this parenthetical statement that says, but you are rich. Smyrna was a congregation that was poor and persecuted, but they were rich where it mattered most. They were poor and persecuted and they struggled, but they were rich in the area that mattered most. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 10, as he spoke about himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he says, We are as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Why could he say that? Because 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9 says this, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, for for your sakes he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. Might be made rich how? With large, fancy buildings, with all of the modern technology and an unending bank account? No, no. That you might be made rich, spiritually speaking. Now zoom in on Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 and following. Steadfast Smyrna is a congregation that depended upon God. The instructions that Jesus gives this church in Revelation chapter 2 are very simple, and yet they are very demanding. The instructions are continue to be faithful. There is no doubt in studying the background material of this particular chapter in this particular place in the first century world that some of these Christians had lost their jobs because of their faithfulness to God. 
There is no doubt that this congregation was struggling in a great way because of the uh, forces that were outside and that were opposed to them. Some of them were ridiculed, maybe all of them, and humiliated because of their faithfulness. And yet Jesus says, Revelation 2 and verse 10, in the midst of all of this, you do what? You be faithful unto death, meaning literally if it means death or if death is staring you right in the face because of your faithfulness to God, do not relent. You see, in a time of great trial and difficulty, what is most important is that we learn to depend upon our God. Jesus said, Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. John 15, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, Apart from me or without me, you can do nothing. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse number 5, our sufficiency, that, that which gives us what we need. He says, it doesn't come from us, but it comes from God. Congregations must maintain their faithfulness and their constant reliance, their constant dependence upon God. So in persecution, look to God in faith. In need, depend upon God's provision. In success, give God the glory. Always depend on God. If a congregation is going to be healthy, if a congregation is going to be strong and sound, then that congregation must learn never to depend upon their own ability, but rather to rely in everything upon their Heavenly Father. Number three, look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 to 17. If a congregation is going to be sound, if they're going to be strong and healthy, then that congregation must, number three, insist on sound preaching and teaching. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 through 17 is all about the church at Pergamos. And here's what Jesus had to say to the church at Pergamos. He said, I know your works, verse 13, and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where, Satan's, where Satan dwells, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate, repent, or else I I will come to you quickly and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth." What's the problem in Pergamos? Pergamos is called promiscuous Pergamos, and the reason why, or permissive Pergamos even, and the reason why is because they tolerated false doctrine. They tolerated false teaching, and the, the uh, form, if you will, of the false doctrine that was going on in Pergamos, according to what Jesus says, the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is doctrine that was held uh, by the members of the church, by the members of the congregation, and it is doctrine that included things like sexual immorality. The congregation was allowing these things to go on, and Jesus says, this is a pro- why is it such a problem? The reason is because false doctrine, unsound doctrine, is always destructive. 
First Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul told Timothy, This is the reason, for this reason, I left you in Ephesus, that you might charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which render disputes and strife, as opposed to godly edifying which is in faith. See, the problem with unsound teaching, according to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, is that it promotes speculation instead of salvation. Paul said there are those in Ephesus who are going around and they're, they're talking and they're teaching and they're making themselves out as if they understand the doctrine and they know what they're talking about and people are listening to them. But the reality is their mouths are, their mouths are moving, words are coming out, but it's nothing but hot air. They're causing problems within the body of Christ. They're not building up the body of Christ. That's what destructive teaching will do. Second Peter chapter one verses one through uh, chapter two rather verses one through three. The apostle Peter spoke of those who would come in secretly, who would speak, seek to spy out liberty, and who would seek to turn people away from the truth in a very uh, secretive and shady sort of way. And I want you to listen to what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter fourteen, beginning in verse number thirteen. Listen to this passage, Jeremiah 14, beginning in verse 13. As God, through the prophet, talks to the children of Israel about the problem of false teaching in the Old Testament, listen to what he says. The Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, whom I did not send, and who say, sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine, God says, by sword and famine, they will be consumed. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16. What's going on in Jeremiah 14? Well, God is telling the people that destruction is coming because of their unfaithfulness. And the prophets are saying, no, that's not true. There's no destruction coming. Don't listen to that story. But listen listen to Jeremiah 23 and verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. Listen to the next line. They make you worthless. I don't know about you, but I think I would be offended if someone came to me and said that I was worthless and that what I said and did and thought was worthless. And yet that's exactly what God says. When you listen to the prophets who are saying things to you who are not true, they make you worthless. That's what false teaching does. That's what unsound teaching will do to a congregation. It will make it worthless. There was a congregation that I preached for in another state not long after I got out of school. And when I moved there, it wasn't long before they told me the story of another congregation across town that many years ago had had something happen to them that I always think about when studying this this topic. You see, there was a preacher in this congregation, and this preacher had um, spent several years teaching a Bible class not in the auditorium, but in a room away from the main gathering of the people on Sunday mornings. And no one had ever gone to listen. None of the elders had ever checked in. No one knew what was going on in that classroom. They assumed it was all good. 
But then at one point, it came out that this man believed in a doctrine, we, we call it Max King doctrine, or realized eschatology, uh, or the AD 70 doctrine. It's the idea that Jesus returned in AD 70. Well, he had been teaching this doctrine in that class for so many years, and so what happened was that the elders finally became aware of it, and they spoke to this preacher and they said we don't want this is not right we don't want you to preach this and he said okay I won't preach it and the next Sunday morning guess what he did he preached it and guess what happened after it those young adults that he had been teaching in that Bible class for all of those years that congregation split and he took all of those young adults with him because he had been allowed to teach that doctrine without any oversight or supervision whatsoever for so long that he had already done the damage. Do you know what Romans 16, verse 16 and, or verse 17 and 18 says? It says that we are to mark and withdraw from those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine of Jesus Christ and avoid them. That preacher, that man in that congregation did exactly what Romans 16, verse 17 and 18 is talking about. He was sowing the seeds of false doctrine for so long that eventually it was time for those seeds to sprout and to bear fruit, and indeed they did. But let me make this point to you also while we're talking about it. We use the term false and we use the term unsound, but false and unsound are not necessarily synonyms. It is possible for a person to preach and teach that which is true in small doses and yet still the overall content of his preaching and teaching and the overall uh, quality, if you will, of the congregation to be unsound because the word unsound means literally to be unhealthy. So, for example, the Apostle Paul said in Acts 20 and verse 27, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. We talk a lot about balanced preaching and teaching, making sure that we preach, as that passage says, the whole counsel of God. It is possible for a congregation and for a preacher or a teacher to be unsound because he's unbalanced. He's unhealthy in the emphasis of preaching and teaching, and so therefore a congregation can become unhealthy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 to 4, Paul says, Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Listen to this. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. What happens if the congregation only hears reproving? They're unsound. They're unhealthy. What if they only hear rebuking? They're unsound. They're unhealthy. What if they only hear exhorting? They're unsound. They're unhealthy. So when we talk about false and when we talk about unsound, recognize that just because someone says something that is true, just because some truth is being presented, that does not necessarily make that a situation in which that is sound or healthy. Now, looking at this from the other side of the coin, what does the Bible say about healthy or sound teaching? The Bible says that sound and healthy teaching helps build the church up and helps it to mature. Read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. The Apostle Paul in that context is talking about the importance of sound scriptural doctrine. And he says, here's the reason why. So that you might no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. 
So that you might not be deceived, he says, by the cunning craftiness and the slight of men who are lying in wait to deceive you. The emphasis in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 is doctrinal stability. And the reason why doctrinal stability is so important is so that someone like that preacher I told you about a moment ago cannot come within the congregation and completely wreck it from the inside. That's why Paul emphasized to preach sound teaching, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, to prove all things and hold fast that which is good, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 21, and to always be in the business of teaching future generations, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2. We cannot ever overemphasize, I believe, the importance of sound doctrine, healthy preaching and teaching. Now, we're not talking about just from the pulpit talking about in the Bible class here in the auditorium. We're talking about in the children's Bible classes throughout the church building. We're talking about our daily Bible reading. We're talking about the articles and the publications. Everything that this congregation, any congregation does that promotes the preaching and teaching of the word of God according to God's word, it has to be sound. It has to be healthy. It has to be in accordance with what this book says, and the reason is because the spiritual health of every member and the congregation as a whole depends upon it. If we're going to have strong, healthy congregations, that cannot happen unless we insist that the doctrine is sound. I want to ask you a question. We're going to finish this lesson this evening, and so I invite you to come back and be with us again this evening as we continue our way through Revelation chapters 2 and 3. But I want to ask you this question this morning. What part are you playing in helping the congregation to be healthy? You realize that the overall health of the human body is dependent upon each of the individual organs and systems within that body. Have you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 recently? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 the Apostle Paul describes every member, that means every person in this room, as a part, an organ, if you will, of the overall body. So that tells me that the overall health of this congregation is going to depend upon the overall health of each individual part within the congregation. So I ask the question again, how are you helping the congregation to be strong and to be sound and to be healthy? Think about that. Ponder it. Go to God's word. Make a careful examination. What can I do to ensure that I'm doing my part to see that the Southwest Church of Christ is healthy? We offer the Lord's invitation this morning, and maybe there's someone here who has not yet become a Christian, who has not yet become a member of the body of Jesus Christ the Bible says that what God's will concerning this matter is is that everyone would be a Christian, that everyone would be a member of the body of Christ. And here's how the Bible says that happens. It happens when we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John chapter 8, verse 24. It happens when we repent of our sins. Acts chapter 17 and uh, verse number 31 and 32, it happens when we confess our faith, Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 to 12, when we repent of our sin, uh, excuse me, and when we are immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. Are you ready to do that this morning? If you are, then we're ready and willing to help you. But maybe you're a Christian this morning already and you're thinking about some of these 
things that we've seen from God's word and you think, you know what, I, I could do more. I have not been helping the congregation to be healthy. In fact, I may have been fighting against the health of the congregation. Let me encourage you to make that right. If you have a change that you need to make in your life and we can help you to do it, then we invite you to come forward and let it be known while together we stand and sing the invitation song.